Hello friends, welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today on the show is Matt Dearden, Director of Undergraduate Admissions. From Cedarville University to the University of Cincinnati and back to Cedarville again, listen as he shares about his journey back to Cedarville. Enjoy the show. Thank you, Sarah, for that introduction. I'm Mark Weinstein and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. He's a lawyer by trade, having earned his JD degree from the University of Cincinnati several years ago. He's a person who loves to be with others, which makes him a little quirky when one of his items on his bucket list is to spend 24 hours in a cave by himself without lights. We'll talk about that later in the podcast. I'm talking about Matt Dearden, the Director of Undergraduate Admissions at Cedarville University. Matt is married to Rachel, whom he met when they were both undergraduate students at Cedarville. Matt and Rachel must like the letter M because they have three daughters, Macy, Madison, and McKinley. And perhaps, Matt, your fascination with the letter M will help me today in the program. At least I hope it does. So uh, what do you think? What do you think? And welcome to the program. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks, Mark, for having me. I'm thrilled to be part of the podcast. When you first asked me to be part of this, I thought it was some mistake. I thought you, you were thinking of someone else because I can't imagine I have too many interesting stories to, to share. But I do. Uh, I am very grateful to be part of this. So thanks for having me. Well, I, I can't think of anyone else that I've talked to or wanted to talk to, quite frankly, who has wanted to go in a cave for 24 hours without light by himself or herself. So that makes you quite unique. And actually, I need to start there on the podcast. So there's so much to, to get to. Why is this cave thing so fascinating for you? Yeah, it's a good question. And I, I had actually forgotten I'd written that on my bio on our website. So thank you for uh, for digging that up. <laughs> no, it... It's less about the cave and it's more about what my mind would do in a dark cave in 24 hours. I've always been fascinated to kind of get at the the recesses of my mind, if you will, and figure out how my mind would work with very little external stimulation. And I can think of no better way to do that than being in a cave for 24 hours. Uh, Growing up, I, I grew up in the state of Washington in the Cascade Mountains, and right. there were a lot of lava caves out there. So caves that were created um, uh, with lava tubes when it was a very active volcanic range. So we would spend hours exploring these caves. And I always thought, you know, if I could just get in there one day and spend 24 hours, uh, what a fascinating experience that would be. And then, you know, maybe I could write about it or something and it would it would be, uh, I don't know, a fascinating article. I don't know. It would be an interesting experience that I've never tried. It would be fascinating. What does Rachel think about this bucket list idea? Uh, as with most of my ideas, she thinks I'm pretty insane. That's why she loves me, Mark. I, I can see that. So, you know, I, I was thinking in my mind, knowing that you're a very strategic thinker, you're, you're a deep level thinker. Have you identified any cave where you'd like to accomplish this feat? So like maybe the cave of the crystals in Mexico or the marble caves in Chile, or even if you want to stay closer to home, uh, Rock House in Hocking Hills in Southeast Ohio. Have you given a place where you'd like to go? You know, I'd probably go back to the West Coast and and go to one of those lava tubes. And, you know, the the locals where I grew up 100 years ago, they would store um, ice and cheese down in these lava caves because it was cold all year round. And so I got to know those pretty well. And I'd probably go down into one of those 
there'd be very few people, if any, and uh, see what happened. What, what do you think would happen? I Boy, that's the, that's the adventure of it all, right? You just don't know. I think what I'd try to do is bring a piece of paper, and even though you wouldn't be able to see anything, just see you know, <laughs> what you ended up writing or drawing during that 24-hour period. And you'd bring food, right? You know, I don't know. Would that ruin the experiment? Maybe it would. I don't know. See, you need to be my advisor for this, Mark. I need to get you on, on my advisory team and we, we make a plan and we execute it. Well, I'd love to be on your advisory team because you you have great plans and really some interesting ideas. So uh, give my agent a call and we'll see what we can uh, <laughs> we can. I'll do that. Up. So, Matt, as I said in the introduction, you graduated from Cedarville University. That, that was back in 2009 with a degree in history. And then you worked in the admissions department for a few years of going to law school. Have you always wanted to be a lawyer? No, actually, I had no idea I wanted to be a lawyer, even after graduating from Cedarville. And I, I'd i say the number one thing I felt as a grad is a sense of, of, of being overwhelmed at the options in front of me. I mean, there were so many different opportunities and so many things I wanted to try uh, that, I, that I had no idea how to even take the first step. And so going to law school uh, really came about because there were several people in my life, my wife included, um, who really encouraged me to think about it. And kind of several people all at once in different parts of my life said the same thing. And I thought, you know, maybe that is God trying to nudge me in a certain direction. And as I started to do more research and look more into it, it did feel like something I I would uh, even enjoy and and be able to pursue. Yeah, and, and when you made that decision, I, I remember it, and I wasn't surprised because you're you're as I would describe you as an off the chart bright kind of guy, always wanting to pursue deeper learning. And so I, I knew you'd excel in, in law school. Uh, mm-hmm. What kind of law have you practiced? Yeah, and and and. Uh, People are going to think I never planned anything in my life, which maybe is, is what Rach also would tell you, and Rach is my wife, but <laughs> I law school having no idea of, of even the options. All that I had known about law was you know, what I had seen on TV. I have no lawyers in the family or close friends or family that are attorneys. Uh, so I went in with a completely open mind. And by open mind, I mean, I, I didn't even have any ideas in it. So as I went through law school, I was able to be involved in a couple different internships that really helped shape what I wanted to practice. And the most influential one was uh, I was able to intern at a startup accelerator in the uh, city of Cincinnati, where we helped seed stage startup companies uh, do the legal work as they were trying to get um, investors. And that really opened my eyes to the idea of, of working with startup companies, particularly um, in the business law type setting, the transactional setting. And so that's what I did end up pursuing. Um, after law school, I got uh, a job as a uh, business attorney and real estate attorney and uh, was rarely in a courtroom, but I was able to practice kind of the transactional business side of law and ended up really uh, enjoying it to a large degree. And we're going to talk later in the, in the program about why you came back to Cedarville, but the lawyer part. I have a strong sense that there's a correlation between Matt Dearden wanting to go into the cave and Matt Dearden wanting to be a lawyer. I mean, it was for the experience as much as anything, wasn't it? Yeah, on, honestly, that's 100% true. I I see something that kind of fasc, fascinates me from the outside and and makes me think, man, I, I want to take that challenge on or that challenge intrigues me. And so it really is the same idea. So going into the cave, that the challenge of, of being in there for 24 hours, seeing what it would what would happen to me as a person in that time, and then going into uh, law school, the same type of thing. I I saw it more as a as a challenge than anything else. Almost as a um, I don't want to make it sound trivial because it was difficult, but but almost as a game. And it was it was something that really fascinated me to see uh, how I would do 
to see how I would uh, compare to others that were there and then to see myself challenged. And um, it was everything that I expected it would be. And I, I honestly really enjoyed the experience, Mark. It, a lot of people talk about law school as a horrible experience and you know three years of tribulation. I, I really truly enjoyed it because it was a good opportunity to learn and grow. Yeah, now I wanna continue down this thread of adventure with you, uh, Matt. So a little more than a decade ago, uh, we worked in the same admissions department at Cedarville. And if I remember correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the, the, the team of counselors that you worked began setting record student enrollments that continues to this day. In fact, I think Cedarville has had like 14 consecutive record enrollments, and you were part of the initial records and, and now the current ones. But I also remember you starting something up called like the Root Beer Boys um, with fellow counselors Dave Stevens and Kevin Knapp. How did this, I'll call it a club, how did this club develop? What was your purpose? Yeah, I, I don't know if I was the best counselor you ever had, Mark, but I did try and I, and I did bring some innovation to the role, hopefully. And and I always like to have fun with the, with the people around me. So two of my good buddies uh, back at that time who also worked in the admissions office with me were, as you mentioned, Dave and Kevin. And one thing we all shared was a love of root beer. And so we thought, what would happen if we just set ourselves apart as a group that reviewed and rated root beer from around the world. Now, did we have any experience in doing this whatsoever? No, we, we had no experience, but we thought, you know, if we're confident enough and start telling all of these root beer companies that we review root beer, uh, maybe we can get some traction. So that's what we did. We started emailing root beer uh, manufacturers, root beer companies across the country and even the world and said, hey, can you send us your root beer to sample? And they did. And we sampled it and we created a, a proprietary 50-point root beer review rating system where we reviewed all of these root beers. And we started a group called the Root Beer Guys circa, I, I want to say it was 2010. And uh, it was a fun little pastime. And so I think we have a, a counselor suite here in the admissions office, which, which still exists. And I think we fit six counselors or seven counselors in there. We had one full cubicle that at a time was dedicated to just holding all the boxes of root beer we had in the office. So um, are you still sampling root beer these days? I do. I don't do it as formally, but I, Rachel, tell you that I always have a ton of root beer in our garage. So I would, I, I would say right now I probably have at least three dozen bottles in the garage from a variety of different places. Not that uh, this is a place for advertisements, but <laughs> what, uh, what, what root beer is the best? In your mind? I always say, I can't really answer that question because you have to tell me what you're going to pair it with. Uh, so you have to tell me if, if you know, if it's going to be with pizza, I'd recommend one thing. If it's going to be a after dinner dessert root beer that you're having, you know, with friends in a jacuzzi or whatever, that's going to be a different one. But uh, let's just say we're drinking a root beer after dinner. You and I are sitting on the back porch summer night. I would recommend a Henry Weinhardt's. It is creamy. It is sweet. It has uh, vanilla, hints of honey. It's a phenomenal root beer to, to sit and drink around with friends in the summer evening. What about uh, you want to make a root beer float? Okay, so uh, this is a controversial one in the root beer community, but I would say for me, if I'm making a root beer float, there's a butterscotch root beer called O-Dang with an exclamation point, and you can find it at Jungle Gyms, which is a great local attraction just north of Cincinnati, and it's called O-Dang, and it's a butterscotch one, like I said, and you drink that with, with ice cream, and your life will be changed, I think, Mark. Okay. okay. Now, I, I, in a minute, I'm going to transition to a little more serious conversation. But I this is deadly serious, Mark. This is oh, this is this is good. This is important. <laughs> but so, if if you had uh, admissions counselors today, 
wanting to to do the same thing that you did, would you uh, give a uh, endorse their initiative during office hours? Now you've really backed me into a corner here, Mark. I have no comment on this issue. <laughs> I, I'm just going to say I'll, I'll approach each situation as it comes. <laughs> you received uh, some grace, is what I think. Yeah, <laughs> I recall you asking me at at one point though about you said something to the effect of very innocently like i see that you guys have a lot of root beer bottles uh you know stacked up here in this cubicle are you guys planning to just keep them there or and it was clearly like a question that was leading me to say that no we shouldn't have them there but uh you know it, you were a gracious boss in that regard mark well let's uh let's go off of root beer and all <laughs> that stuff it, it's definitely a memory um I'll, i want to transition this podcast to the heart of the program and that is telling cedarville stories for god's glory that's what we're all about so I'll, at first i'm interested in hearing your faith story your faith journey of when you accepted christ can you uh, give us a little background on that yeah yeah thanks for asking i I uh, grew up in, I was very fortunate to grow up in a, in a Christian home with both my parents who were believers and, and raised both me and my two brothers in the church. So I actually came to Christ at a very early age, um, the age of six. And at that time, you don't necessarily know or understand everything, but I, I, I know enough to know, uh, or I knew enough to know at that point that I was a sinner in, in need of um, Jesus' sacrifice on my behalf. And so I did trust Jesus um, at that point in my life uh, with my with my father. Um, but, you know, o- over the years, um, particularly as I started entering high school and even into my college years at Cedarville, I really struggled with um, doubting my faith. And I didn't know at the time, but it is something that a lot of Christians, I think, go through and it's a stage of their, really their growth. But I, at the time I thought, man, I'm the only one struggling with whether I'm even truly a Christian. Uh, it wasn't that I wasn't involved or, or plugged in. I was involved in my church. You know, I mean, I came to a Christian university, right? So I, I that was something I was always involved with. Um, but I did have pretty deep seated doubts and concerns. And, um, it was actually when I got to Cedarville, I, I was a history major, but I tried to take as many extra Bible courses as I could because it, it, it interested me and fascinated me. So one extra one I took, I don't even know if it's a course right now, but it was with uh, Dr. Chris Miller, who still teaches here, and it was a course called Romans and Galatians. And I remember going through that course, and that course transformed the way I thought about my faith, actually. And I remember us going through uh, Romans and uh, Dr. Miller was talking about the faithfulness of Christ. So we tend to associate Romans like with, with our faith, right? But he was talking about the faithfulness of Christ and what Christ has already accomplished on our behalf. And he says, your faith is not just your faith alone. It's actually faith in the faithfulness of Christ and his accomplishments. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew that, you know, like I, it's something you know, um, but until it's phrased in that way, it, it really transformed the way I thought about my faith. And it took all this pressure off because I think I was thinking, uh, man, I just need to have more faith, right? My faith just needs to be a little stronger. And, and Chris Miller, I mean, I think guided by the Holy Spirit, really stripped that away and said, no, it's not about even how strong your faith is, Matt. It's, it's your faith in the faithfulness of Christ. And that was an incredible moment, I think, for me and my faith journey. Yeah, you bring up a good point. And I think you'll agree with this, Matt. Not all students who go to a Christian college know Jesus. And uh, in fact, the Christian college is a great place to hide. Mm. And so that people think that you are something that you're not. So 
going through what you went through in the, in the classes with Dr. Miller, um, it's, it's great to hear the, the transformation that those really did have on your heart and your life. And, and as an FYI, just today, uh, Dr. Miller agreed to join me in an upcoming Cedarville Stories podcast. So we'll, maybe we'll talk about that, but uh, I'm looking forward to that. So yeah. the spiritual journey, as you know, is a journey of sanctification. So with each passing day, we are hopefully becoming more and more like Christ. Hmm. How do you hope or maybe believe that your work and your life is bringing God glory? Yeah, that's a, a difficult question and a question that I'm always learning uh, to even try to answer in my own life, because we, we know what we're called to do in one sense, but then um, as we're actually on the ground doing life, how are we doing that? And that's almost a different question. And so I think for me, um, being at Cedarville, I see my biggest uh, role here, not as even recruiting students for the university, although that's a huge part and my boss would certainly hope that's part of my role. Um, my biggest role here is, is working with uh, recent grads who are, who are typically the people on my team and working with them and help grow and develop them as professional, professionals and as followers of Christ. And that's the role I take most seriously in my current job. And it's the role I think that will bring uh, God a, a lot of glory, I hope. And, and I'm trying to do it in a way that will do that. So th that's what I would say is I feel my biggest missions field right now is working with those new grads, particularly those new grads that join my team and um, imparting the little wisdom that I do have kind of into, into their lives and helping them uh, navigate sometimes a difficult time. How do you do that? How do you, how do you build into the lives of your, your staff? I mean, they are, very, they are very young. They may not think they're young, but they're still very young. Yeah, I think there's a couple things that I try to do on a consistent basis. Uh, number one is I always try to identify a couple people on my team. And I have a team of about 15 staff members. I always try to identify a couple people that I'm specifically going to build into in a given year. And that usually means um, taking opportunities to challenge them professionally, um, but also to challenge them as far as what they're wanting to pursue in their life and saying, hey, you know, making sure that they have a sounding board in me for their journey moving forward, whatever that looks like. So that's setting aside time to talk with them. You know, maybe that's sometimes grabbing coffee that's challenging them and maybe articles that I send them. So that's one thing. And then with my team, uh, we have team meetings as every department does every so often um, on a regular basis. And we, uh, we work with and challenge each other in our uh, professional lives in that way as well on a consistent basis. And so it's also just making myself available. Um, and I try to keep an open door policy as much as possible. And I hope that team members are able to, to come in, ask questions. We have a lot of good conversations and challenging conversations and usually that ends up with a pretty positive result. As I'm thinking about the podcast here with Matt Dearden, I'm, I'm thinking the people listening are asking to themselves, why would someone with a spirit for adventure, uh, why would someone who's a lawyer uh, want to come back and leave the opportunity to make more money and return to Cedarville University to be the director of admissions? What what drove you back to Cedarville, Matt? Uh, you, Mark. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, um, no. So, so yeah, the, the most recent law job I had, it was at a firm in downtown Dayton and I was a business corporate attorney there and, uh, loved a lot of the work that I was doing. I was able to work on a lot of interesting projects, but it was, um, it was very, very time consuming. Uh, it wasn't uncommon for uh, me to work very late nights, um, over the weekends. And we had a young family at the time. We had two very young children 
And it was so unpredictable for my wife as to when I would even be home or able to do things with the family. So as, as time went by, I knew that probably to be the dad that I was being called to be, I'd need to make a different decision. Uh, and it just so happened around that time, there, there was an opening here for the director of admissions position. And around that same time as well, uh, Scott Van Lu, who's our current v- VP of enrollment here at Cedarville, he was hired on as the VP of enrollment. And I had known Scott you know, from my time at Cedarville before. And so we connected one day, um, kind of out of the blue at an Olive Garden. And we talked about the possibility of me coming back and everything just fell into place, Mark. And it was one of those things that I knew that if I were to continue along the path of, of being a corporate uh, business attorney, um, it would it would pay well and it would do all those things that, you know, people uh, uh, seek after, but it wouldn't be the best thing for me and my family. And it wouldn't be the most conducive to me being the best possible dad I could be and really conducive to me even pursuing other interests in my life. Um, so coming back to Cedarville has just opened uh, so many doors that I wouldn't have had in really any other job. And uh, so, yeah, I couldn't be more grateful that, that Scott hired me back and and uh, really enjoyed my time here for the last number of years. Yeah. Now, by the time this program airs, you'll have been here four years. Mm-hmm. What have been some of the highlights in these four years for you? Yeah. So I think that one of the huge advantages of working on a college campus is you get the opportunity to to do so many things that are outside of just your normal job, right? So like in a normal, let's just say nine to five job, you go to work, you do your job, and then you come home. Working on a college campus, especially <clears throat> Cedarville's college campus, you can get plugged into to all these different interests that you have. So one of the things that I've always enjoyed is the opportunity to teach. And so the last two years, I've had the opportunity to teach a politics and American culture course here. And as I mentioned before, I was a history major, so the opportunity to kind of come full circle and teach some of that same material to mostly freshmen has been incredibly gratifying. And it's one of the favorite things I do here. I've been able to be involved in some student organizations here on campus, um, some uh, involved with some of the student leaders on campus, uh, you know, going to the athletic events here, uh, getting involved in, um, yeah, just so many different opportunities that, that you wouldn't get to in a normal job. So I need to go back a little bit. I'm really interested in leadership. That's where, um, my master's degrees in, in organizational leadership. Hmm. How would you describe your leadership with the admissions team hmm. right now? I think my leadership style is something I'm always working on and developing and growing in. And I've certainly had a lot of great uh, mentors in my life that have spoken into that. Um, certainly my boss, Scott Van Lube, but then others across campus and in other organizations. And I think for me, um, my style has always been to come alongside people underneath me, um, underneath me in the quote unquote hierarchy, and really be a resource for them. And so give them the opportunity uh, to excel and make whatever their role is their own, and then come along for support as needed. And then if there are mistakes, which there inevitably will be, then it's an opportunity to learn and grow. And I think that a lot of organizations, um, particularly with very hierarchical uh, structures, get into this blame game often because it's really easy to go up the line and blame the people below you for issues you've experienced. And and it just goes back and forth and back and forth. And so then no trust is built. Well, I try to view view my team as, um, you know, if there's ever a problem or if there's ever an issue or, or mistake, it's an opportunity not to point fingers at each other and not to point fingers at ourselves to say how horrible we are, but to find an opportunity to learn and grow through those problems. And so 
call that what you want. I guess it's kind of a flat organizational structure in some ways. But um, I think that my, I would hope that my team would view me as a resource more than anything else for them and, and give them enough rope where they can be very successful, not to hang themselves, <laughs> but enough rope where they can be very successful and be given the leeway to do their jobs well. That's good. That's good. I found that one of the best ways to um, encourage and motivate a staff is to come alongside them. Be an encourager. Don't be a micromanager. Let them let them do what they need to do. Let them believe that uh, they can get the job done, and then just you just come by and help them out whenever necessary. So from your from your vantage point, where where you're sitting in in admissions, you work out of the Stevens Student Center. Um, Where's Cedarville University going from an admissions perspective during this, especially during this COVID uh, time period? Uh, yeah, I mean, th- there are a lot of positive signs, and, and we've been very, very fortunate as an institution and certainly blessed by God, as is really the only way you can explain it, to still have really strong enrollment numbers. Um, even in the past year, we're looking like we're going to bring on a really strong class this coming fall of 2021 as well. Um, and and we, we're going to work hard to that end. Um, so we're in a strong position. I think Cedarville as a whole institutionally really recruits itself. And uh, so maybe that makes me um, not even needed. But I, I really, truly think Cedarville fits a very specific niche in the Christian college landscape. And it's fit this niche for a while, but I think we've even become more clear about, about who we are and why we do what we do. Not every Christian college is, is, is created equal. You know, a lot of them have the Christian college name. Um, but even as I relate to and connect with other colleagues around the country from many other Christian schools, they're struggling to even talk about who they are because they, they haven't been clear about who they are. Cedarville, um, you know, and certainly credit to the administration here, but they're very clear about this is what we do. Um, we are for the word of God. We're for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. Our mission is to bring students in, to find their their God-given passion, and then to go pursue that for the kingdom of God. And when we can put that yeah. vision into a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, as they're looking at a college, they really get behind that. You know, if you're, if you're, clear, if you're clear about who you are, they, they, they can see that. And so in that way, Cedarville really sells itself, apart from all the great uh, – you know, buildings that we have, apart from the beautiful campus that we have, apart from all the great people that we have here, even the mission alone is becoming more and more unique in, in our country. Oh, unfortunately, you're right. And uh, I, I wish there more schools would would stand up as we have for the Word of God and mm-hmm. the testimony of Jesus Christ. Um, we just have a few minutes left in the, in the program. Um, I remember when I was sitting in your seat, actually, literally, probably your seat uh, in, in admissions, and, Hopefully uh, they've changed out chairs since then, Mark. Well, actually, actually, I know they, I know they have because actually I took the, that seat with me. I, I'm sitting in, oh. <laughs> but, but figuratively I was in your chair, and I, I could feel the weight of the numbers. You know, there's just a lot of pressure to bring in the class. Do you feel that pressure, and how do you deal with it? I do. Yeah, it, it's uh, any way you shake it out. The enrollment side is always about surprise bringing in the enrollment and you, you know, to keep the university healthy, you need to have a healthy enrollment. So I do feel that pressure. Um, but I think it's a really positive pressure because it's not my boss or, or, or Dr. White saying, Hey, you better bring in the class or else it's a very, it's been very supportive. So, Hey, how can we help you do what you need to do to accomplish the mission? And so it's never, no one ever uh, succeeds or fails alone here. 
And that's certainly not the culture that we have in our office. No counselor succeeds or fails alone in, in bringing in his or her geographic territory. You know, our, our guest services team doesn't succeed or fail alone. We, we all come along together. We all do our best. And if that's the way that you look at it and you leave it all out on the field, then you're bound to, to I think, have a lot of success at a place like Cedarville because, like I said, we have such a clear mission we have such a clear focus and I believe that that shines through. Yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good response. And you're hundred uh, percent accurate that in that. Um, so one of my final questions is if, if an incoming student or prospective student was listening to this program today, what advice would you give them as they prepare to enroll at Cedarville? I would say the number one piece of advice I try to hand out when asked this question is, is to not try to have it all figured out before you come to college. Most Call, most high school seniors are standing on the precipice of a really cool time in their life. Over the next three, four, five years, they're going to experience a lot of things. They're going to grow a lot in a lot of different areas. And importantly, they're going to experience a lot of things that they don't even know exist right now. So how can you plan for things that you don't even know are there? So I always encourage students, spend time with your family. It's the last time it's going to be like that at home. Even when you go home and breaks from college, it's going to be the same. Spend time with your family. Enjoy yourself. And then uh, invest in those you feel are um, uh, need to be invested in. Because when you come to college, um, just be open for the experiences that will be available to you. Yeah, you're going to work hard. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for you. But uh, more often than not, you're just going to be walking through open doors. And, and there's a Cedarville is a phenomenal place to experience that. So take the pressure off, basically. is, is you know, Be willing to experience uh, anything in the next three or four or five years. That's great advice. And you actually have lived that uh, in your life. Yeah. And so thanks for sharing. So uh, time is up. I do have one final question. And that is, what's the Lord teaching you right now as you study his word? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. So I've been spending um, uh, a lot of time in the book of Philippians. And that's been kind of, uh, I guess, my my flagship book in many ways over the past year. And I think that uh, what amazes me about the book of Philippians, among other things, is that Paul is writing uh, this book to the church in Philippi, and he's, he's telling them these, these things that almost sound crazy, right? He's telling them that they are not uh, citizens of earth, but they're citizens of heaven, and that they're awaiting a savior from, from, this, uh, from heaven. And so the mindset that Paul, this mindset of joy in the book of Philippians that's, that's constantly present there. Um, you know, making sure that these Philippians have the same mindset of Christ as he came when he came down to earth. This whole idea of, of changing a mindset in light of what Christ has done in our life uh, has been so important to me, particularly as we look over this past year in the pandemic, right? We have so many reasons to be, to be negative, to be fearful, to be doubting. Um, but if you read that book of Philippians, and it's very short, you could read it in one, one sitting easily, um, your mindset will start to change, and you'll see what Paul's talking about, I think, from that perspective. That's, that's good advice. And uh, Matt, uh, our time is up, but I want to thank you for spending it with me and just reliving some of your earlier days at Cedarville University in admissions, um, your your love for root beer and adventure for caves, but most importantly, your, your passion for ministry at Cedarville University. I'm, I'm glad you're part of the team. Thanks for leading well, and uh, Perhaps when uh, this podcast airs, uh, we can get together for a root beer. I'd love to have it. I would love that, Mark. I, I, I'll get together with anyone for a root beer. So come by my office. I have probably 20 bottles in here right now. Yeah, you'll have to provide it because I don't have any. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. Thanks again, Matt. Good to, good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cedarville Stories Podcast, brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by this conversation, like I was, please share this episode with a friend. If you know of an awesome Cedarville story, share it with us. We would love to showcase how God is at work in the Cedarville family. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.